2: Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. This is a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions and life questions and what we believe as Christians, why we believe it, pretty much anything on your heart, I'll do the best that I can to answer. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's our main number. 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app, uh, Calvary Chapel San Antonio mobile app, uh, and you can send in your questions that way. If you're Driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app and using the hands-free feature, one button. Call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer, 340-9585. I hope you had a great weekend at church. Uh, yesterday we did. I hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day. Uh, we, we also had that. And uh, just pray that the Lord spoke to your heart. I pray that people got saved. Every single person that gives their heart to Jesus on a Sunday brings us one person closer to that finite number of Gentiles that Paul talks about, the full number of Gentiles. One of these days when we don't know when somebody's going to struggle to get out of their chair and the spiritual warfare is going to be terrible and they're finally going to get up and they're going to walk forward and then we're all going to be out of here. I don't know where it's going to happen, but here's what I know: If you know that person, go get him or get her and tell him. What are you waiting for? We want to go be with Jesus. Uh, tonight is Monday. We have our men's and women's Bible studies. Ladies, Paula will be teaching tonight, and you can watch that on live stream at CalvarySA.com. Uh, at the same time, we have our men's study and our high school age and junior high school age studies. Two separate studies. So it's a good time. To bring the whole family, and we have. Of course, child care where your kids will learn about Jesus as well, the little ones. But uh, we do that, and hopefully uh, it is a blessing to a lot of people. Well, let's get right to some questions that have been sent in, and then we will uh, we'll just await your phone calls. Uh, my first question is from our email inbox from Nacho, and he says, during the seven angel plagues, these are the trumpet judgments. Uh, during the seven angel plagues in Revelation 9, how much time... Will pass between each angel's act. Are is it days or is it weeks or is it hours? I'm not sure. We don't have any way of knowing. Um, we just don't know. Uh, we know that the the judgments, whether they're the, the trumpet judgments or the seal judgments or the bowl judgments, that they all um, come uh, one right after another. And in fact, all of the judgments, the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, the seventh bowl, uh, all of those judgments, the seventh one contains the judgments that will follow. So we know they come in pretty short order. Um, You know, these play out over um, seven years, Um, not the entire seven years, but I think for most of the seven years. So clearly there's some time, some recovery time, Uh, God seems always to be patient and willing to give people a chance to repent. So uh, as he did with Pharaoh in Egypt, you know, the judgments would come and um, Moses would issue an ultimatum. uh, And then if they refused, which we know they did, then uh, the next series of judgments would come, but always with an announcement. So there's got to be some time that passed, uh, passed between them, uh, just because it would be impossible for people to recover otherwise. But we don't know how much time, uh, and in fact, um, there's no clue, no hints, no anything else about the time that passes. Sorry, couldn't help, but there are some questions that we just don't have the answers to. Here is a question from Amanda. She says, on YouTube, there is a guy who says Greg Laurie is a heretic. I think I heard that you know him, so is he good or not? Uh, Amanda there's everybody on YouTube so don't pay any attention um, uh, to to YouTube I mean if you know who you're listening to listen if you don't don't pay any attention Uh, Greg Laurie is not a heretic Greg Laurie is a a believer a true believer the Lord has used him marvelously Uh, he is a really funny guy Uh, I do know Greg he is a Calvary Chapel pastor uh, his church is called Harvest, but he's been a Calvary Chapel pastor for a whole bunch of years. Um, he happens to be one of the best Bible teachers in terms of making something simple and understood. And I mean that in the highest form of compliment. Um, he he can take a difficult passage and make it so simple that people get it. Um So he's a good Bible teacher. He's a solid Bible teacher. And you can listen to Greg Laurie without any reservation at all. Um, I don't know why on the online discernment ministries they think it's their job to call out heretics. And the heretic is defined uh, by them as anybody who doesn't agree with them at every point. Um, So so just don't pay any attention. Don't listen to Amanda. Those are are uh, people that are going to do more harm than good. Greg's a good guy. Here is a question from Max. He says, "Uh, Pastor Ron, how can I respond to a homosexual who says he is a Christian and certain he's going to heaven? Um, Max, there's, there's no real way you can respond. When somebody wants to sin, wants to believe that they're going to be okay with that sin, there's nothing that you can do. You can tell them you're wrong, the Word of God says Um, You can let them know that you're going to be praying for them. But, uh, you know, you can't convince somebody who is hopeful that God's going to accept them on their terms that that's just not the case. This is somebody who obviously doesn't know the Bible, hasn't uh, spent much time in the Bible. Uh, And it's like a lot of people, they want to justify their sin. Um, They want to pretend it isn't sin, and they want to pretend it's going to heaven. You know, Max, this question is a good time. I know I've had this question for nearly a week, but um, this coming Sunday here at Calvary Chapel, we're going to be teaching uh, at the end of Luke chapter 13, when Jesus tells the people in the audience that he's speaking to that um, um, the road to, to heaven is narrow and few find it. He said, tell people, look, you're trying to get in, but depart from me for I never know who you are. And that's, unfortunately, Max, the, the situation, I think, in a whole bunch of the, the, the professing Christian church. Um, people want to do, they always have, they want to do what they want to do, and they want to justify themselves that they, um, that God understands that what they're doing is okay with God. I can't tell you in my 24 years as the pastor here at Calvary Chapel how many people told me um, that, that, no, God's fine with me. God, God told me I could do this. Uh, and the truth of the matter is that uh, we know, because we have God's Word, what's true and what's not true. I had a friend, and this was one of the nicest men. He, he was a uh, just, he's one of those guys that's just fun to be around. Uh, and he uh, had drinking problem. Um, um, was in a really bad crash, and uh, came out of that crash having seen the bright light, and he was summoned to the end of that light. And he says, I felt so good. I felt so warm. And I have been for years telling him that he needs Jesus. He goes, I've already got Jesus. I saw him in that tunnel. It's going to be okay. I know I'm going to heaven. And uh, there's no indication at all that he's a believer. So we can fool ourselves. We can't fool God. So Max, all you can do is tell him in love. Tell him, no, I'm telling you this because I, I care about you. Uh, Truth is, Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you go to those passages, Max, it says people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then their problem is not with you, their problem is with the the Bible. And um, almost without exception, those are people that have already determined that the Bible is not the final authority uh, in terms of how to live our lives. Sad thing, Max, but you keep trying. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. 9585 live calls. Uh, anonymous says, do you believe in once saved, always saved? And when I answer this question, Anonymous, I always do it with this caveat. And the caveat is simply this. If you ever really were saved, you always will be saved. You see, here's the thing that we really need to understand about this, and this is one of the questions that we get frequently on this program. If Jesus is the author, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith, how can we lose our salvation? Now, if I'm the author and finisher of our faith, or even if Jesus is the author of my faith, but I'm the one who finishes it, you know, I'm going to say, okay, well, I'm going to do this, you can count on me, Lord, kind of thing. Well, well, then, I have no guarantee. But Jesus is the one who makes a guarantee. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, it says that we have been given, a, upon being born again, that we're given a, a deposit, the Holy Spirit, as a deposit, sort of an upfront payment, guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. Now, God is the one making that guarantee. Not you and not me. So somebody who says, no, I think you're going to lose your salvation. Anybody who would actually meet Jesus and give their salvation away never really met the real Jesus. So, yes, I do believe that. Now, here's our problem, Anonymous. We've got a lot of people, as I spoke about in an the, the earlier question, we have a lot of people in this world who got baptized or who answered an altar call and 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 somebody gave them a sense of security and their salvation. And yet they've never lived a minute for Jesus. They never surrendered. They didn't actually change after meeting Jesus. Those people weren't saved. You don't get saved by saying something with your mouth. We get saved when we meet Jesus, when we put our trust in him. And when we do that, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes in us. And we change. And we change instantly. And... By that I don't mean everybody changes the same amount at the same speed. But if you meet Jesus, you change. And once you really meet him, even though you can sin and you can have difficulties and uh, you can struggle with your faith, you can do all the things that humans do. But if you really met Jesus, remember, he's the one that guaranteed you're going to finish the course. He's the one. Now... Here's another part of the problem. We would wonder why don't people have more confidence that their salvation is secure? And the reasons are numerous, but most often it's sin. The Bible makes it impossible for us, the Holy Spirit in us makes it impossible for us to not be with Jesus, to sin and feel secure in our salvation. It's as simple. God doesn't give comfort to somebody who is in rebellion against him. So when we're walking away from Jesus, the, the truth is that we feel unsaved. We feel guilty. We feel, and you can fill in your own blank. But it doesn't mean that we're not saved because it doesn't depend on me. Salvation is from God It is God who will keep us faithful to the end, even when we're faithless. And so anonymous, if somebody really is saved, I'm not talking about an empty profession of faith. I'm not talking about somebody who had a a goosebump experience in church and emotionally cried out for Jesus and immediately forgot it when they left church and started living their old lives the same. if you're really saved, you will remain saved because it's up to Jesus. And not just for you, anonymous, but for everybody. I think so often we get trapped by false teaching or we get trapped by an enemy who's lying to us. And when we feel like God's only happy with us, we're doing good, so we strive real hard to do better and be better. And when we can't, of course, he heaps condemnation on us. It's in those times when we have to Honestly, remember what Romans 8, one tells us, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what we do is we identify the condemnation as from an outside source, an evil source. We take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to God. We do that by believing the promises in the Bible. And regardless of what people tell you, well, the, this verse seems to suggest you can lose your salvation. There's nothing in our Bibles that would suggest that God doesn't keep His promise to us. And I personally think that when people feel insecure, it's because they've walked away from God, even while He's chasing them. So anonymous, I hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Question from our mobile app, this one from Scott. Uh, pastor, on regarding that Arizona pastor has been barred from entering island, can you be anti-Semitic and a Christian? Um, Scott, I've not read uh, the story about him, and I know a lot of pastors in Arizona, so I'm going to look it up when we get done with the program today. Um, but but no, you cannot. Now, there's a bunch of Christians, professing Christians who who are anti-Semitic who are anti-Israel those are men and women who don't have the heart of God Abraham was told I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you um, that pastor is an embarrassment uh, that pastor has fallen to the lies of the devil um, that pastor if he is truly saved is going to have a lot to answer for when he gets to heaven? You know, Martin Luther, who is an early church hero, Uh, Martin Luther, who took his stand um, against the Catholic teaching, Uh, he was horribly anti-Semitic. Now, we've got to give some sort of allowance for the time that he was raised in, where he was raised, all those things. But, but you see, when you know the Bible, I mean, Martin Luther could, could come up with this fantastic doctrine. We're saved by grace through faith and, and yet miss out completely on Israel. And, you know, you can read a lot of those uh, early church guys. Calvin is one, but Martin Luther is the worst. And um, they have nothing but vitriol for Jews and for Israel. And, um, you know, that's, those are hearts. Uh, I'm not suggesting Martin Luther's not saved. I'm just saying that when he stands before the Lord, how would you ever explain that to our Jesus who is a Jew? How would you talk to the Apostle Paul in heaven when he said, look, if it were possible, I'll give my very place in heaven. If only my brothers, the Jews, would believe. He said that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I don't know about this pastor, but I'm check him out. There are some denominations and there are some people who have been brainwashed by the media and our media is decidedly anti-Israel. Everything is their fault. They're always in the wrong. They're always aggressors. And of course we know that's not true. And um, it's easy if, reading the newspaper, listening to news instead of reading your Bible, but I'll go one step further, Scott. There isn't room for any prejudice at all toward any group on earth. There's two groups of people, saved and unsaved, and we're supposed to be so zealous for the unsaved, for winning their hearts we don't look at them as the enemies of the gospel no matter what they do or say we look at them as the objects of our gospel and we go out and tell them but no you, you generally speaking Christians cannot be anti-Semitic God will decide who gets in who doesn't five eighty is a question from Chris um, oh, Chris, I talked about this yesterday. Chris's question is Pastor, why do we have to be concerned with theology and church instead of just loving Jesus and other people? Um, Chris, I spent 40 minutes on this question yesterday. Um, doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. Paul told Timothy to watch his life and doctrine closely. The thing is, wh- whatever it is we believe, that's the way we live. And it's not loving to let somebody with no hope, somebody who who harbors false doctrine, it's not loving to let them go to hell without telling them where they've erred. And so we have to be concerned with the things Jesus is concerned about. You know, if you don't know your Bible, you don't know who Jesus really is. Now you can say, yes, he's my Savior, he's the Lord, but do you know anything about him? Do you know his character? Do you know what his will for your life is? And when people say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I just don't care about church. Don't like the organized religious part of it. Well, that's somebody who needs their heart transformed. Because theology, doctrine, in church is important. Let me say this as well, Chris. If church is something that bugs you, and you say you want to be just an consider loving Jesus and other people what better place to go love other people than at Jesus' church that's the place you ought to be and if you really are interested in loving people it won't matter how they treat you so here's what you do you get up on a Sunday morning and you say Jesus take me to church and then the two of you have work to do and you'll love the people that are there and you'll look for opportunities to minister to them to comfort them Ask God for those divine appointments, I promise you. He'll give you those divine appointments. But doctrine matters. I want to repeat this, Chris. You're too lazy to pick up your Bible and do some study. You have no idea who Jesus is. And if you think Jesus is just love, 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 then I challenge you to read Revelation chapter 19. I challenge you to read the prophets in the Old Testament who warned against judgment because they loved the people so much and the people didn't listen and so God judged them. You see, you want to just love Jesus, but how can you love somebody and you have no idea who he is? And unless you have his heart, how then can you love other people? That's why this is so important. We are living in a time, Chris, where we're excusing spiritual laziness and disguising it as, well, I'm just interested in loving people. And if you really love people, you'll tell them who Jesus really is, but to find out who that is, you've got to know, and there's no way to know who he is except in the Word of God. Jesus is revealed to us in the Word of God. And by the way, Chris, Revelation, I told you to, to go look at Revelation chapter 19 the whole book of Revelation, 22 chapters, the entire book is a full and final revelation of who Jesus is. And it's simply not enough to say, well, you know, I love people, so I'm going to accept whatever they do. That's not loving at all. Bible says somebody who is a drunk lives like this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You let somebody drink, that's not loving, that's hateful. So Chris, you need to be a little more serious. You need to come to a little deeper maturity in your walk with Jesus. Because if you're with Jesus, he's going to want you to be around his people, and that's what church is all about. If you're really in love with Jesus... You're going to want to know more and more and more about him. And the more you know about Jesus, the more you learn, the bigger, the better, the greater he get. It's time to mature in your faith, Chris. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we're coming down pretty close to the end of this first half hour of the program. Phones have been quiet. Yep, I got one minute. See if I have a one-minute question. Um... Here's one I can. Russell says, When we get to heaven, will we be able to see all the terrible things going on on the earth? Uh, Russell, the answer to that question is no. Why would we want to see the things that are going on on the earth when we're in heaven? Our sole focus is going to be Jesus and there's going to be nothing bad or impure ever again enter. And imagine if we were looking on earth and somebody that we cared about was messing up, heaven would cease at that point to be heaven so we won't be able to see the terrible things going on during the Great Tribulation anytime else, because we'll be focused on Jesus. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630 KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of the program 340 9585 for your live calls and questions. We'd love to have them. The phones have been quiet. Scott, uh, we did a little quick two minute research. Um, during the break about your question about this this uh, pastor who was banned from going to Ireland for being anti-Semitic, uh, he is a guy, his name is Steve Anderson. He is from uh, Tempe, Arizona. Now, I lived right there in Mesa and then in, in Phoenix for 12 years. It's a great place, but uh, he is uh, a part of the independent, the fundamentalist independent Baptist church. Um, uh, he's also um, um, anti-gay. And, uh, and, uh, you know, the world says that if you say it's sin, you're anti-gay. But this is a guy who's got no love. You know, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the sign is love. Uh, And here's a guy that doesn't understand the heart of God. I told you earlier, he is an embarrassment uh, but um, you know this is sort of like the Phelps group from Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas and some others it just proves that not everybody who names the name of Christ uh, even if they think they are zealously serving and these are the people that Jesus will talk to in our bible study this coming sunday when he says depart from me for I never knew you you know we think it's enough to know about Jesus but the question in heaven is always going to be, does he know you? And for somebody to be blatantly anti-Semitic or blatantly anti-anything is, is, uh, is to miss completely the heart of God. Here is an anonymous question that came in. He says, how would you advise me regarding joining the Anglican Church? I'm looking for something that feels more like God um, I, I wouldn't advise you to do that. The Anglican Church has all kinds of doctrinal issues and problems. Now, they are believers. Um, um, their Jesus is my Jesus and your Jesus. Uh, but they're very traditional. If, if, if what you mean by I want to feel like more like God, you want to go into a quiet place where there's organ music playing and, and there seems to be this, and I'll call it a false reverence for God, Um Uh, you're going to feel that. But you're also going to see a church that in in many cases has thrown the Bible away. Um, You're going to see a church that's steeped in tradition. uh, A church that will give you short little sermons. um, Churches that will take you to the common book of prayers. Um, In other words, a church that's pretty dead. A church that's pretty dead. You see, I, I think... Anonymous, what we've got is a problem with what feels like church to us. Jesus is in his church. Jesus is in his church. When he's there, it feels like church. And when you come into a place and, you know, maybe you visited our church, it certainly doesn't feel like church when you walk in here. I told our church yesterday in, in the Bible study that, you know, everybody got up and said, they well, we're going to church uh, but but this wasn't a church when there are no people here. This is just a place where people can gather, but it's we're located in a strip mall. And there's nothing churchy about it. But when the people who love Jesus begin to come into this place, and when the worship begins and people are raising their hearts and their hands to the Lord, it doesn't matter what style the music is. When I can get up to the pulpit and say, "Open your Bibles, too," and everybody has a Bible and opens it, and everybody wants to hear from the Lord, well, there's nothing that feels more like church than that. So, if you're looking for reverence, if you're looking for steeples, if you're looking for dark in terms of environment, then then you're going to find that in the Anglican Church, which you're not going to find. For the most part, there's exceptions everywhere. But for the most part, you're not going to find radically born again Christians who understand the need to surrender their entire heart, their entire life to Jesus. So I would advise against it, as you can tell. The Anglicans are sort of the cousins to the Episcopal Church. The Episcopal Church in this country is even worse. We go through these trends from time to time, and we're in one of them now where young people, and I don't know how old you are, I don't know if you're, know if you're male or female, but people are on the Internet, and there's always a group advocating for this or advocating for that. And there's young people who are trying to find something that feels better. Forget what it feels like you go to church wherever it is you go you look for Jesus you're going to find him there you can go into a place that is so traditional where people hardly talk to themselves and you're going to miss out because a lot of times Jesus isn't there so that's my advice take it or leave it Here is a question from Nate. Pastor Ron, I've heard you say that we shouldn't debate, but what about the command to share our faith with others? Well, Nate, I never said that we shouldn't share our faith with others. Uh, In fact, we're commanded to do that. When I said we shouldn't debate, we shouldn't argue, don't involve yourself in foolish controversies, Paul Wright. Um, You're not going to change people's minds by debating them. To declare Jesus. You know, the gospel is is pretty marvelous Nate. It's obviously supernatural. Uh, the gospel, Paul says, is the power of God unto salvation. And there's so many times when we, we try to, to treat it like the gospel needs our help. That we don't have to defend it. We don't have to debate about it. We just declare it. And as we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ... And absolutely nothing else matters. Then the Spirit of God takes over. I think sometimes, Nate, especially when we're involved with online discussions or Facebook discussions or, or even formal debates, we're trying so hard to persuade somebody with just the right argument that what we believe is true. The Holy Spirit doesn't need your help, Nate. The Holy Spirit doesn't need my help. All we have to do is declare this glorious gospel, and then the Holy Spirit will take it from there. And I just think we think too much of it depends on us. I asked a a, a friend. I was actually asked um, on this radio station some years ago to debate a witch, and and I said, why would I want to do that? And I was asking some people, have has anybody that you've ever debated? Has, any one of them ever converted and given their life to Jesus, I never found a single one who converted somebody through a debate. So save your energy, tell people about Jesus, ask God for divine appointments, but stay offline. There's just no value in arguing with people, debating people about what's true. It's it's an amazing thing, especially the younger generation of people. I'm 100 years old, so I'm talking about people my kids age and younger. We just want to win argument. We think people need to listen to us. And really all we need to do is to be with Jesus and to tell people about him and then let him take it over from there. So I stand by my statement that debating people, arguing people, whether it's in person or online, has zero value, Nate. However, there is enormous value in sowing seed, the parable of the sower. The whole point of that is we're to scatter seed everywhere, and of course the seed is the word of God. So we scatter it, and let the Holy Spirit do with it what he will. 340-9585 Three four zero ninety five eighty five for live calls. Let's go to Ruben calling from Seguin. Ruben, we've been praying for you this weekend. How you doing?
3: I'm doing great, Pastor. Thank you so that that means that means so much to me. Um, I, I like I told you last week. I do not want to be that caller that that bugs you. But the more that I read, you know, the more I told you. Remember, I told you I was I was just mm-hmm. going in for myself instead of asking. I used to ask like fifteen people their opinions. Now I've learned. Don't do that. But anyways, uh, but I value yours because yours has, for the past, what, I don't know, four or five years, as long as I've been living, I mean, uh, listening to you, it's been spot on. So anyways, I want to try to get this as as fast as I can, and then listen to you, because I do not have a radio. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to hear your response to my question last week, but I'll get it uh, about, I am who I am, but I'll get the answer another day. Today, what I want to ask you is, um, am I praying correctly when I say, uh, when I'm praying to him and I say, Father God, I'm dealing with these these uh, uh, sexual issues that that, that that I opened up um, and other issues. It, it could be whatever. But am I praying it correctly? Because I've heard it said that this is how you're supposed to pray. that Say, say, Father, I, I loose it off of my life the way it is in heaven, and I bind it up and I cast it into the pits of hell. Um, is that correct? Number two. Is there anywhere in the Bible, because I haven't found it yet, Um, I'm I'm still reading through, I'm I'm in Jeremiah, and I haven't gotten to it, if it is, but is there anywhere in the Bible that says that God honors His Word above His name? So, with that, uh, if God honors His Word above His name, when God says He will do something, He will do it, and we have to, like, kind of remind them, not... In a bad way, but you know, remind them. Well, Lord, you said that you would do this for me, and you you honor your word above your name, if that's in the Bible. And then the last thing, the last thing, um, uh, I've felt the whole, I've felt the presence of God before, but I haven't felt them in a long time, and I don't know why. And I, I don't know why the enemy comes and tells me it's because God has left you. It's like he tells me he's like Saul. Saul so was out there doing all this, and you know, and didn't even know that that God wasn't even with them anymore. And, and, and but I refused to believe that. So I continue to pray the way that I pray. I continue to seek God in the by looking at the Bible, reading the Bible the way that I. Nothing has stopped it is, If anything, it has pushed me even further to continue to look for. Yeah.
2: Oh, there, Ruben, we lost you for just a second, so we missed about the last ten seconds of what you're saying. Can you hear me? I can hear you now, but we lost about the last 10 seconds.
3: All, all, all I said was that uh, the enemy tells me that uh, God isn't with me, and that all that does is push me more to read the Bible more and to pray even more, because I don't feel the presence of God anymore. And I was wondering, you know, I mean, I, I just, I haven't felt him, but the, the, that doesn't mean that he's not with me. Those are the three things that I was going to ask you. And I'm going to stay on the line because I don't have a radio. So
2: that, That's fine, Ruben. Thank you very much. I can answer those. Let me do the first one. Uh, the second question first. Uh, Psalm 138, verse 2, and I'm going to read it out of the King James. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So, Psalm 138, verse 2. Now, what we know, Reuben, is that you can't separate his word and his name because his name and his word are the same. They're perfect. So the idea there is that uh, his word will never fail. And when God makes a promise, he keeps it just as you said. So Psalm 138, verse 2 is what you're looking at. Um, the The last question, and this is a really important. We'll get to the other one as well. But... Um, this whole idea of needing to feel God, you know, we don't need goosebump experiences. So this isn't about feeling God. Now, this is what happens as we begin to mature in our faith. And just for the, to remind the audience, Reuben has been on a, a, a mission to get closer to God, to really open the Word and find out, really dig in for the first time over these last months, uh, to, to really dig in for himself and find Jesus. Um, Reuben, when you do that, not only do feelings not matter, but this is God trying to increase your faith. I think sometimes we treat God like a, a, a genie in a magic lamp. You know, if I rub him, it'll come, I'll get goosebumps, everything will be okay. Um, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you're going through, what we need to know for sure is that Jesus said he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he's always there. And this is sort of like faith exercise, you know, it's it's great to get goosebumps and every once in a while we all get them, but what's even more secure, what feels even more comfortable is just being able to say, God, I thank you that you're with me. You know, if we need to get goosebumps or if we need um, to, to imagine voices or something like that, um... Then, then we're really not learning who he is, and what God is doing. It's sort of Reuben, and I, I mean nothing personal by this. We love you, and, and we're praying for you. So that you, you, I know you won't take this personally, but it's sort of like you know when we give babies a pacifier to keep them from crying. Well, imagine if you were still sticking pacifier in your fifteen-year-old's mouth. Every go, Ooh, that's weird. Well, in the same way, God is trying to help you to grow up. He's trying to teach you that he's always there, and he wants you to know that by faith rather than by feeling or rather than by experience. And it's so vital that we understand that because when the enemy's attacking, I know he can't prevail. I know Jesus is here. When I'm sick and I'm feeling sorry for myself, I know Jesus is there. When things are going great, I know he's there why would I ever suspect that he's not here when we're going through a difficult time? And so as we mature in our faith, those times of seeming silence, there's never silence, but those times of seeming silence increase. Because what God is saying is, look, you know I'm here, walk like it. There was a song when I grew up, Roman called Walk Like I'm a You're a Musician walk like a man by the Four Seasons, and um, uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. And um, uh, I think there's times when God says to us, walk like a man, walk like a woman. You know who I am. You know what I've done. But this endless search that, that we paddle in churches for goosebump experiences uh, is very unstable. And God wants you to know for no other reason than he told you And he never has broken a promise. So when when he says, I honor my word above thy name, when I tell you I'll never leave you or forsake you, I'm there. Now the only constructive thing I can say regarding this is in times of silence or in those times where you don't feel the presence of God, those are always good times to say, Lord, you know my heart, search my heart. Search my heart, examine my faith. Paul says we're to do that daily. And if our hearts are right with God, then we know He's there. If our hearts are not right with God and we 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 know He's absent, then what we say is, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I don't want to do that ever again. Then instantly He's there again. And we have to know that by faith. So it's very important. Uh the first question, Reuben, um your church background, I'm I'm vaguely familiar with it. And those kind of binding and loosing prayers uh, are, are not only inappropriate, uh, but they're arrogant. And I'm, again, I'm not judging your heart. You're not arrogant. But when you say you've been taught to pray that way, can you imagine me ordering the devil around? Not even Michael the archangel raised uh, accusations against the devil. So, um, no, th- that's not an appropriate prayer. When you're hurting, uh, when you're struggling with temptation, just cry out for help. You have no power to bind or loose anything. What you have is an advocate, Jesus, whoever lives to make intercession for you. So go to him. Ask him. Lord, I need your help. I have a moment of weakness. He'll lead you. The Spirit of God will lead you to First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation seized you except that which is common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above what you can bear and he'll always provide a way out. then you can say, okay, Lord, show me the way out now. And when you're being tempted with thoughts, Reuben, that way out will be the Bible in your hand. That way out will be just taking a walk with Jesus. That way out will be... but, but, But don't talk to the devil. Don't talk to temptation. Don't demand anything. Don't bind or loose anything. That has nothing to do contextually with prayer. So what you do is you simply say, Jesus, now is the time I need your help. And he'll always be there, and we know that, Reuben, because he promised. Thank you for the questions, Reuben, thank you for sharing your heart. Lots of people are learning from your experiences. Let's go to Daniel in San Antonio online, too. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hey, Pastor Ron, quick questions real quick. Uh, I was just wondering, I was hearing a, a teaching this morning on the... Uh, a YouTube thing, and this person was teaching about the uh, Hebrews, about Jesus being the high priest and how he entered the most holy place, to, you know, with uh, mm-hmm. his own blood. And and but the conversation quickly turned to feeding the blood of Jesus, and and I know throughout the years I've heard there's I haven't heard all the teachings out there, but you know, I've heard people say that oh they plead the blood of Jesus over this and they plead the blood of Jesus over that. And I I just don't know if there's any scriptures to <laughs> to back that up because I I know that for Jesus Christ his blood is to, was to forgive the sins of to forgive our sins, right? Mm-hmm. But yep. other than that I I don't know if somehow the teaching gets, it goes I don't know where it go you know, they jump from that uh pleading the blood of Jesus over situations, you know, and, and then, uh, just my other question was also about when I've heard sometimes people say that you shouldn't, uh, you know, as a Christian, you know, you need to separate yourself from unbelievers and, you know, and sometimes that that goes to the point of, you know, no longer associating with family members, you you know, and I don't know if it draws a divide, but I, you know, I've heard people teach, Stuff like that before but what's your opinion on that and i'll take your answer over the radio
2: thank you daniel great questions and uh daniel for the for the, the 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 hebrews question jesus is a great high priest uh let me just sort of uh encourage you to, to go to our website calvarysa.com i'm happy, i'm actually teaching through um the book of hebrews right now on friday nights uh and in the chapter that he was in Uh, Listen to the the teaching I did on that. Um, We're we're going through that chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now I'm going to be finishing chapter 7 this coming Friday. But It's all about Jesus as our great high priest, and you can see the difference between the teaching. Uh, First question, uh, we don't have to plead the blood. We already have the blood. The blood has been poured out. Um, Though our sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's usually um, sort of uh, bad charismatic teaching. Um, it, it, pastors like to scream and yell and plead the blood. Let's plead the blood over your kids. Plead the blood. We often do that because the blood is freely often, freely, freely offered, freely given. So um, don't get caught up in that kind of hype. Um, just take a rational approach to what the Bible says, and for me to plead Jesus for something. Um, that that he's already given, I can almost hear him say, "But don't you understand? I've already done it. Just accept it by faith." So uh, that's just bad teaching. Um, the other question: um, uh, Oh, I lost my train of thought. Thank you. My my producer bailed me out about separating from unbelievers. Um, we should never separate from unbelievers. Uh, what we do is because they're the object of our ministry. We we hang around with unbelievers we tell them about Jesus. What we don't do is encourage their sin. We don't get involved in their sin. We don't talk like they do. We don't live like they do. The purpose of being around unbelievers is to be light in the middle of darkness. And so to separate from family members, why would you do that? Now, if there is a family member who's challenging you to deny Jesus, or a family member who's trying to drag you into sin, yeah, then... Hebrews 12 says that we're to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And there will be people that you'll have to separate from. But believe me, Daniel, if you're being light in the darkness, those people, most of them, will separate themselves from you. So you don't just go hang out. You don't do the things they do. Hey, let's go drink. Oh, okay, look, I'll have a drink. Let's, let's go to the bar Jesus. You don't do that kind of stuff. But what you do is you, you tell them, look, I love you, I want you in heaven, I found Jesus, and man, you need you need to come to faith in Christ. And if they separate from you, don't take it personal. It's Jesus they're rejecting, not you. But uh, no, we're always to be around unbelievers We're just to be light in the middle of their darkness. Daniel, thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. We've got um, our men's, women's, kids' Bible studies tonight at 7 o'clock. I'll see you tomorrow at AM 630. The word. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.